Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Dr. Smita Garg. Dr. Garg has had a lot of out-of-body experiences where she has encountered Hindu gods and more, and today we're going to talk about it. Dr. Garg, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Apparently, you have lived lifetime with a lot of experiences, so can you tell us about them? Sure. Um, let me start with the <laughs> um, with my childhood. Um, growing up, I have memories of the time I was a baby. And I realized growing up that not many people have memories of the time they were a baby. So um, I remember crawling. I remember moving around furniture. And I remember trying to catch light that was coming through the door. Um, I had a lot of out-of-body experiences, even as a baby, and uh, as a young child, there was an awareness, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what this awareness was about. So I was also a very sensitive child. I had uh, extreme sensitivities to uh, foods to materials, um, to words, how they were spoken, how people addressed me. It was a pretty weird and difficult childhood, despite the fact that I was uh, born in a very loving family. So it started with that. And then in my 20s, um, there were people close to me who died what I felt were unnatural deaths. And losing these people within a span of five or six years to these unnatural deaths like accidents or, or, or my mother-in-law, you know, she was, she suddenly had a stroke and she was gone. So what really nudged me forward on my path, I would say, is the passing of a very dear friend. He called me one day. We spoke for hours. We hadn't spoken for, you know, a long time. We spoke for hours. And then a week later, I heard that he killed himself, shot himself to death. Mm. And that shook me 
inside I was so shaken and I, I thought, oh my goodness, that call he made to me was probably a goodbye call. And I, how could I not know? How could I not save him? His loss devastated me and I could not sleep for a whole year. I was like a zombie. I would go spend hours at the 24-hour markets, you know, just just trying to get a sense of what happened. So I developed a fear of death. Let me ask you this real quick. Do you mm-hmm. think it affected you so much because of his death or it created an existential crisis in you? I'm sure it was both. And it was only later I realized that his death uh, was meant to push me in the direction my life took. Hmm. So what happened was I developed a fear of death. I developed a lot of panic around death. And... I did not know how to handle death. So any news of people dying would shake me up. I became fearful of losing my loved ones. And it became really difficult to live my daily life, constantly being surrounded, you know, with the idea of death. So I decided to do something about it. But before that happened, I had two other encounters. And one of them was uh, when I was moving from Illinois to Philadelphia. And I had, we had a car uh, behind, we had a 26 foot truck that we were driving um, with the car attached behind the truck. And we had asked for an automatic but the uh, the truck company gave us, you know, a, uh, what is it called? A manual uh, transmission. A manual transmission truck. And this is a 26-footer. We've never driven a manual transmission before. And now we are driving a truck on the freeway from Illinois to Philadelphia. And as it would happen, we reach Ohio. And suddenly out of nowhere, there's thunderstorms not expected at all. And the thunderstorms grew wilder and there was just so much rain. We were moving with this truck and at one point, the truck slipped off the road and it started to move in the opposite direction. At that point, we had no control over the truck and that's when I sort of left my body. I don't know where I went but things went blank. And the next thing I know is we are, I'm, I'm feeling the soil underneath, like this really wobbly surface. And I open my eyes and find that the truck slipped and it was almost, you know, going into the opposite side of the freeway. But in Ohio, they had these huge medians and they had soil in them. And because of the rain, it was totally wet soil and the truck got stuck. Mm. And so it was stuck there. The tires were running. But I don't know where I went. Mm. 
during that time. So I did not have even a scratch on my body. And all I can remember is thinking, how did I survive this? I have no idea how that miracle happened that we didn't die. Did you when roll, it was certain? Did you like roll the truck or did it get damaged or just how just got stuck in the mud? Anything could have happened. We thought the truck would roll over and we were gone. I, you know, before I, before everything went black, that was my thought that here we go. Goodbye. Mm. <laughs> but there was a truck stuck in the wet soil. <laughs> and then we, we were brought pretty soon to reality by a police car that came our way. And there was a policewoman who got off and she said, I'm sorry, I have to give you guys a ticket because you aren't supposed to be in the median. That brings you back to reality real quick. <laughs> right. And then we spent pretty much the whole night stuck there. And we told the woman, you know what, this is what happened. And in fact, there were other people who saw our truck slipping off and they called 911. Mm. So it took them the whole night to get us out of there. And then we just, you know, so it was <laughs> death that I survived then. But in about a year's time, um, I uh, gave birth, my first child, and everything that could go wrong went wrong. The baby was due, and uh, I went into labor. I was in excruciating pain, but the doctors kept sending me home saying, you're still in early labor, you can go home. And I said, no, I'm feeling some weird stress in my body. It's not okay. The baby's not doing okay. I tried to tell the doctors the baby's not okay. They would plug me onto all these machines and go, oh, your, your you know, vitals look great. Everything looks great. Everything's good. My first child, I trusted the doctors. Finally, third day, this goes on. I tell them, guys, I think you need to do a C-section. This has gone on too long. Um, eventually they do the C-section. By the time the baby comes out, they, the baby's hardly breathing. Uh, she's aspirated inside. She had been trying to come out for three days. Uh, she had what's called, uh, meconium aspiration. And the next thing I hear the doctors tell me is, we're sorry, there's nothing we can do to save your child. And then there was a series of miracles that happened. That was the point where my life truly began to take a turn with the coming of my first child. So she was moved to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia because the UPenn Hospital couldn't do anything to save her. And um, when I went there, uh, I was being wheelchaired there. Uh, <laughs> And uh, there was a, a chaplain at the hospital who approached us and said, um, we would like to pray for this child. Which religion are you from? Because I will also try to find somebody from your religion to come and bless this child. And I said, um, I believe in all religions. 
blessings are blessings. Please, please bless and pray for her. And that's good for us. And he said, no, but I still want to try to bring somebody from your religion. So we told him that we are Hindu. And he brought out this old yellowing card and he showed it to us and said, let me call this number. This is the number of a Swami I know. And so he calls the number. Turns out that although the Swami works and lives at a, in a town like about an hour away, that day he was lecturing in a building next door. Mm. And then the Swami came after his lecture and he blessed her. And he said that he was going to get some um, ceremonies done in, in India with his uh, group of swamis. And we were completely in shock. Like, we were like, okay, whatever. But here's the next thing that happened. Um, I was still on the wheelchair and suddenly somebody said, oh, there's there's a, a family member who has arrived. And I said, okay, I don't know who it is. Turns out it was my cousin from Dallas. She's uh, a pediatrician and I'm very close to her. So when she found out what happened during my childbirth and how the doctors were discussing doing the most intensive uh, surgery on her, uh, on the baby, she felt like she needed to fly out right away and be with us. So she she saw me and and she said, "Okay, let's let's go back in. Let's take a look at the baby." So she took over my wheelchair and she's wheeling me into the NICU, and suddenly she stops in her tracks. In front of me is a tall man. And she goes, what are you doing here? And he looks at her and goes, what are you doing here? Turns out it was her teacher from Harvard Medical who is now the head of NICU mm. at the Children's Hospital. Wow. And she said, oh, my niece is going to undergo this surgery. And that is why I'm here because, you know, this is a pretty serious situation and I just want to be with my, you know, with Smita. So the doctor looks at her and goes, that's your niece. I'm going to take over that case. And so the head of NICU took over my daughter's case. I see it as the second miracle that happened. And so the miracles never really stopped, you know, and the baby had this life-saving surgery. She survived when other doctors had given up on her. And I experienced that miracle deep within me. I felt it deep within me. That whole process, as excruciatingly painful it was, uh, I experienced a presence beyond what was happening there that was overseeing this whole um, whole thing, you know? So um, 
from then on, I, I became a little more aware of this presence. And I started to um, work more on my spirituality, as in meditation and things like that. But the fear of death actually intensified after that experience because I came so close to losing that baby. And uh, I realized that I had some depression after that and I was struggling and restless. Um, and that's when I, I decided I needed to do something about it. It had gone on too long and now having had these two experiences, uh, which came, which for, to me were like coming face to face with death, um, I needed to do something about my fear. Mm. So I started to read Dr. Brian Weiss's work. It came my way. And it really resonated. And I was like, wow, there's all this stuff, you know? And um, the more my interest in that work grew, the more that work came my way. So I became involved uh, with an organization, which is a spiritual organization. And so I do have a guru I follow who guides me. And uh, sometimes in that organization, we do what is called silence courses. And I volunteer a lot. So one of those volunteering gigs, I was uh, uh, going to be cooking a meal for the silence course attendees. And the meal has to be cooked in a very special way. It has to be very gentle on the stomach so they can stay in silence and meditate for hours on end. So I go to this facility, this big kitchen, it's like a industrial kitchen. And I realized that there's no one to help me with the cooking. There's no volunteers to help me. And there's 75 people I need to cook for mm -hmm. in an hour and a half. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Finally, somebody shows up and it turns out to be a lady from Hawaii. And we start talking and as we are chopping veggies and all that, and she says, oh, what do you do? And I said, this is what I do. I'm a volunteer, I'm an art teacher, you know. And she said, and then I asked her, what do you do? She said, I'm writing a book. I said, what are you writing? A, what's your book about? It's on NDEs. Mm, wow. And I said, oh, my God, I want to know more. And then she told me about her NDEs. And then she said, do you want to read the book, by the way? Do you want to do some editing? Mm. I said, okay. She said, I have the manuscript right here with me. You can have it, you can read it, and then you can, you know, mail it back to me. So I said, okay. So that that manuscript came my way. And so I read, there were like a hundred NDEs in there. Hmm. And the more I read that stuff, the more I loved it. And so Dr. Brian Weiss came my way, this book came my way. Then one day I turned the TV on and guess who was on TV? It was um, 
Anita Murjani. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I learned all about her NDE, growing more and more fascinated. Uh, and I said, you know, I am, I'm just loving this stuff. And honestly, truly, honestly, it helped me overcome my fear of death. That's Finally. Amazing. Yeah. And then I ended up doing a course with my guru. So I didn't know that in Hinduism, there's, um, there are these commentaries on these ancient books called the Vedas. So there's four Vedas which I had grown up knowing about, but not really learning about. So they were more like a conceptual level information for me. So now these Vedas are so huge, and they're supposed to be knowledge that came from outer space. So there are commentaries on the Vedas. And I didn't realize that one of the commentaries, which is called Katopanishad, is all about death and what happens after death. Let me stop you there for one second. Is that for real that those books are known as information from outer space? That's what it is said, that it was brought by uh, people who were so advanced. They are called the rishis, the ancient rishis, who, because it, they were written such a long time ago, like thousands of years ago when in the Western world, most of the world, you know, people would think uh, that there was no writing that existed. Mm-hmm. So where did this knowledge come from, this advanced knowledge of what is this universe? What is life? What are we about? What is soul? What is death? So the Vedas are an amazing um, compilation of uh, all these uh, bits of knowledge from, you know, uh, sources that we we don't know those sources. Mm-hmm. So it is understood that they were brought from outer space. That's amazing. Can yes. I ask you one quick question before you carry on? And it may seem very simple, but you have a guru, and you also mentioned earlier that the priest or chaplain from the hospital called a Mm -hmm. Swami. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between a Swami and a guru? So Swami and a guru, uh, you know, guru is somebody who we choose as our guide. And a Swami is somebody who can be a guru. If that person has the ability to guide us and if we resonate with that person's guidance we can choose them to be our guru but swami is more of like it's an honorary title given to somebody who is understood to have knowledge is that especially spiritual knowledge yes okay all right Let's get back to the Vedas. I just wanted to get that question in there. <laughs> so there are lots of commentaries on the Vedas because the Vedas are very difficult to understand. They are in Sanskrit, which is actually supposed to be a kind of light language. Um, and it's an ancient language, you know, a sister language to Latin. So 
So these common trees are equally incredible, but they have been simplified for us to understand the Vedas. And so one of the common trees is called the Katopnishad. So I just happened to take this course with my guru and not knowing what he was going to teach. I just signed up, you know, and it turned out to be Katopnishad, which actually addresses death and what happens after death and what is the soul. So for me, I would say in those few years, I delved deep into the idea of death, learning what death was, how to overcome the fear of death, what happens to us when we die. All those questions were answered. And at one point I felt like I was pretty satisfied and finally in a good place um, with my fear of death. I felt that fear leave me. And then I said, okay, and now I can probably go back to living my regular life, you know, looking for a job in the academia. That did not happen. <laughs> so I tried going back to the normal, you know, industry and found that there was nothing that filled or satisfied me, nothing that filled that, that nothing that fulfilled me. And I kept getting pulled back into the spiritual knowledge. And then I continued to volunteer because I wanted to do something with my skills. It was during one of those volunteer gigs that someone came my way. And when I looked at them, there was an instant recognition of a deep connection that I cannot describe in words. It was like I was home. And I had never felt home in that depth or in that <clears throat> way ever in my life. And there was something about that person that started to... Uh, move me and shift me. And the work we did together shifted me in a tremendous way. And it was just a volunteer work gig, you know, it was just in the community. And I was wondering, what is going on here? What is this connection? Pretty soon, I was getting visions. And then I had a series of three, three visions um, in two of those visions, uh, I was shown what I'm meant to do, what my soul came here to do, because that was a burning question. You know, I was kind of lost my doctorate in education wasn't taking me anywhere. And every time I w tried going back to doing a job, I was returning, feeling sick, unfulfilled. And so I knew, but I knew that I was here to do more. There was something there waiting for me to, um, you know, do. So I was told in one of these visions that I'm supposed to help people with their grief. 
And I remember asking, so in the visions, it was kind of interesting. I was in the semi-asleep state, and I had the knowing that I'm in body. At the same time, I was in this other space with these angelic beings that I was talking to. And I was asking them questions. So my first question, my first, uh, uh, you know, question was, wait, who are you? We are the archangels. And the person who is half asleep is wondering, I recognize them all. How do I know these guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the archangels introduced themselves to me. There was Michael, there was Gabriel, there was Raphael. And... Uh, then I was told what I'm here to do. So I said, but how do I work with grief? I mean, I have a degree. I have a doctorate in uh, arts education. Am I supposed to be an art therapist? And then they said, well, that's for you to figure out. And then they went away. And I was like, no, you guys tell me more (laughs) before leaving. (laughs) Tell me more. I need some concrete answers. And they said, we told you enough. (laughs) What did they look like in your visions? In my visions, they were in robes and they had wings. And I recognized each one. Um, And it was so interesting that the person who was half asleep was thinking, I recognize these guys. How do I know them? You know, and how do I even know their names? Where are these names coming from? (laughs) And that actually is a great question. How did you know them? That's a great question. Um, I found the answer much later on. And, um, and I, uh, uh, I, I will probably share when we get to that point. (laughs) So anyway, I spent the next uh, few months looking into what to do with this big clue they had given me that I'm supposed to help people with their grief. And so I started looking at various modalities. I started looking at art therapy And I said, oh, my God, all this requires me to go back to school. I don't want to go back to school. I've already spent 10 years getting my doctorate. Not excited about going back to school. So there were two voices in my head. One was like, Smita, you're supposed to do this. So figure out a way. You can. And the other voice was like, oh, my God, just tell me what road am I supposed to take? So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to ask my guru. And I had already realized, you know, by that time that I had the ability to connect with my guru telepathically. So he has millions of followers, like he has no time to talk to me. And I said, okay, I'm just going to ask him to, sh- to show me which direction I'm meant to go. So He was going to visit San Jose. He was teaching a silence course. I registered myself in the, you know, four-day silence course. And I go there the first day, 
And the very first exercise in the silence course is that you're supposed to, you know, hug people and say, I belong to you. So we did that. And the second exercise is you have to find a partner and sit and tell each other 10 great things about yourself. And, you know, these are virtual strangers. So as I'm returning to my seat and looking for a partner, the facilitator starts the second activity and I'm like, wait, I'm not back yet. I need to, I need to go back to my seat, which was way back in the hall. There's 800 people there. Mm -hmm. And so I look at this person standing in the aisle one person, just one another person also looking for a partner. And I go grab him. And I said, there's no time for us to go all the way, you know, to where our seats are. So let's just sit down here and do this exercise. We sit down and there's something about that person which I cannot place. It's something about their smile. It's something about their eyes. There is something going on here I can't describe. But he said to me, Smita, you start first. You go ahead and tell me what are you doing and what is it that you want to do? And so I sit down and tell him, you know what? This is what I've been doing so far, and now I'm trying to figure out how to help people and everything, and I'm trying to choose whether, and then it came to me, whether regression therapy is something I should be doing. And I'm thinking, wow, this is interesting. I've been studying regression therapy for eight years just to overcome my fear of death. And now, suddenly I have this light bulb moment that maybe that's what I need to do to help people with their grief. And then he smiles, and there's a twinkle in his eyes, and this person, believe me or not, reminds me of Krishna, the Indian god who has a bewitching smile and a mischievous look in his eyes. And he's the God that gave a discourse on karma. Karma is the word. Karma and dharma are what you come to do on earth. And here is this guy. He tells me his name is Mark. Indian guy who looks like Krishna. And so he said, I think you need to do that. I think that's the way you need to go. Well, that exercise got over. We went back to our seats. Next four days, I looked for Mark. Every single day, I looked for him. He was not to be found. I asked the teachers of that course, do you have somebody called Mark in your course? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one knew about Mark. Not one person could tell me what happened to Mark. (laughs) So for sure, that was a visitation from the higher realm that day. It happened 
during the silence course. And I became very, very clear that I'm supposed to do past life regression therapy. So I'm going to move us forward. I um, registered for Dr. Brian Weiss's course. I knew that he was the one I was going to study and train with. And he taught only at Omega Institute, mm -hmm. upstate New York. And when I registered for his course, they told me I'm number 175th on the waiting list. And I said, oh boy, I'm never going to get there. <laughs> a week before that course started, this is September of 2016, a week before that course started, I got a phone call from Omega. Smita, are you ready to come? Your name came up and we feel like we have a spot for you. And I had a lot going on in my regular life. At the time, I said, I don't think I can come at this time, but can you please put me down for the next available course? And they did. And I remember one day I just opened my laptop and it popped up that the registrations for the next course in May 2017 were starting. I went ahead and registered right away. I was one of the first people to register, I think, got in and... And then come May, I, I prepared myself to go to Omega to get trained by Dr. Brian Weiss. Mm -hmm. But a month before going to Omega, I started to get visions again. And these were pretty clear visions. Dr. Brian Weiss was with me. He was not here on earth. We were in a different realm. We were in a classroom somewhere in another realm. He was teaching me some esoteric knowledge that is not available on earth. Mm. In my visions, I had a complete understanding of what he was teaching. I knew exactly what he was talking about, but I would wake up completely blank and I would think, this is really strange, not sure what's going on. So once again, I had like two or three such visions. And um, by the time I got to Omega and he started to teach hypnotherapy, I realized I already knew what he was teaching. And um, I found that I was a natural at hypnotherapy, that I was able to take people easily in and one more thing I realized was when people went in and they went into a past life, I had the ability to see whatever they were seeing and experiencing. I had the ability to know what, what it was. So it just uh, uh, came so naturally to me. And I realized this is how I am supposed to help people release their grief. This is how I'm supposed to help this world. And so uh, it was a pretty incredible training. And there's something else that happened at this training. So there was a lady from Japan 
And I'm sure a lot of people who've attended Dr. Weiss's course uh, know about her because she has, uh, she, she hardly misses any of his courses. She's always there. So I kept getting a big nudge saying, you have to go talk to her. She has some information for you. So by this time, I'm hearing pretty clearly from what I think are my guides. So I go to her on the last day of the course and um, I ask her, you know, do you know like why I'm being nudged to talk to you? So she's uh, uh, really psychic. She can look at you and tell your past lives. So when I go to her and ask her, she stops in her tracks and she goes, Oh my God, Smita, you were my mom during the Holocaust. And so she pulls out this past life in which I was her mother. And then she goes, um, I just want to let you know that you can release the grief. I said, what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So I had always been aware of this weird grief I had carried inside of me, not knowing what it was. And I hadn't been shown a past life which connected to that grief. And now she here, right here, she was telling me about it. She said, you can release the grief because what happened was you left home to run some errands. And we were at home. Your whole family was at home. But... By the time you came home, we had been taken away. And you lost us. You never saw us again. And you blamed yourself for it. Oh, my goodness. I could not believe what I was hearing. And we hugged each other. This was my daughter from another lifetime. We hugged, and with that meeting... My grief left me, whatever that was, it left me. And I realized that this is why the angelic team had guided me to help people with grief, because I know grief in a way not many people understand. So one more thing happened, you know. I, I asked her about this person. I said, who is this person who came into my life and sort of activated me, you know, when I was, um, when I was uh, uh, volunteering? What happened there? And she said, that person was your husband, my dad. And I said, can you tell me more? She said, yes. You are both the same soul. You are twin flames. And that made total sense because I remember when I looked at this person and I felt at home, that feeling of home, it was because I was meeting my own soul Mm. in a different body. And so that that meeting at Dr. Brian Weiss's was pretty incredible. And I, you know, came back with my training and with greater knowledge of my soul's work 
and who I was as a soul. And so I started my practice and I started with some friends just to get comfortable because it's not like I went to some big hypnotherapy school or anything, or I had been doing hypnotherapy all my life, nothing like that. But yeah, by this time, I had already spent eight, nine years studying hypnotherapy and past life regression on my own. Um, I, I understood research methodology because I had picked up that training from my doctorate. Um, I understood um, in a deeper way what I was doing here now. So I had friends come forward and they they were happy to, you know, let me try and gain some experience. And in 2018, I had a pretty incredible experience. So some of my friends were from, you know, they were followers of my guru and some were not, but whoever was coming to me, there were some who were going into past lives, but there were some who were going elsewhere. And it was blowing up my mind. I was like, where are these people going? And they would describe, and I could see those places because, well, I can see where people go. So I needed to know how to guide them better. One of those cases happened when this person that I was um, doing a session with, he went uh, to a place where he saw a cave and I'm seeing the cave. And then he's seeing a yogi sitting inside the cave. And I'm seeing the yogi too. And I know who this yogi is. I know this yogi in a deep way. I have a deep connection to this yogi, but I don't understand how. So this person says, oh, my God, this is, this is so-and-so. And I said, yes, I know who it is. The next thing that happens is this, this client's set, uh, uh, voice changes. And it becomes really deep. And I'm thinking that this is, this is an, this is, really an incredible session not sure what's going on but this is not a regular meeting with one's guides because in all our sessions you meet a guide at the end of your session at the end uh, you know once you've come back from your past life you meet one of your guides and those guides are often higher level masters or gods and goddesses or jesus or mother mary um Sometimes it's like your late grandfather. Sometimes it's your friend who lives down the street. It's, it's a different range. You never know who's going to show up as your guide. But in this case, this, this was different because this person's voice changes. And I know from one of Dr. Brian Weiss's books uh, that... When 
ascended masters come and talk to you through clients, the client's voice changes. Mm. And I'm still thinking that this person, this yogi has showed up for my client. So I'm taking notes profusely. I'm just busy taking notes. My head is bent down. I'm listening, noting the details. And suddenly I hear this deep voice say, Smita, put down your pen and start listening. And now I have goosebumps, and now I know that this Ascended Master is here to talk to me. So I put the pen down, and I start listening. <laughs> and the knowledge that I'm given is mind-blowing. It's about the nature of universe. It's about the nature of love. What is love? What is life? How do humans look at life and what it truly is? It, it went on probably not too long, but it felt like hours. And by the time that session got over, my friend who was sitting there was like, oh my God, what was that? And then he said, can you, can you send me some of your notes? Because I had no idea what was coming through me. So I said, sure, I'll share with you. So that was my first meeting, in-person meeting um, with who is known as Maha Avatar Babaji. And later on, uh, it became clear to me that Babaji uh, showed up because he's the one who's guiding my work. Mm. And he is the guru of, if you've heard of uh, Param, Paramhansa Yogananda, mm -hmm who wrote the autobiography of a yogi. Mm -hmm. He is uh, Yogananda's guru's guru, and he is supposed to be uh, in body for thousands of years at will. He, 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 he's, he looks youthful all the time, and he has chosen to... Uh, wander on earth and uh, show up to certain people who are here on a mission. And that's when I realized that I am here on a mission and I'm being guided. Do you think that you met him before in a prior life? I am sure. Because one of the stories I haven't shared is while I was going through that period of uh, restlessness and and um you know when i had those visions with the archangels around the same time i was also reading the autobiography of a yogi the book had been sitting on my shelf for years i hadn't looked at it i hadn't bothered mm -hmm. looking at any of the books sitting there i had them all um but during that time i was guided to take it out i started to read it and that was 
the first time I um, I saw Mahavdar Babaji, but I I didn't really connect to him. Who I connected to was Yogananda's guru. The moment I saw Sri Yukteswar's photo, I I just became a crying mess. And to this day, like I couldn't understand why I had that reaction, but it was an instant uh, recognition of something deep within me, a deep connection to that lineage of masters. Do you think that when you meet somebody for the first time and you, for some reason, unknowingly, you have this deep connection with them and they feel very familiar do you think usually that is somebody that you've known in a past life and you just can't remember? Absolutely. Mm. It could be a past life. It could be that you are from the soul, same soul family, so you're familiar with each other's energy. Energy is everything. So um, when when we feel a dissonance with somebody and we feel like, oh, we're not kind of... Um, getting along with somebody because there's a dissonance, uh, there's a good chance that you're from different energetic uh, families. Mm. Uh, but with your soul family, you will have a kind of recognition. You will know that they uh, are from, they are like your cousins or they are your siblings mm. of, from your soul family. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a human way of understanding, you know, cousins or siblings or but but really souls that are in the same soul family or same soul pod as we call it in the soul regression world um, they move at about the same energetic vibration and it's almost like you know if you look at any metals or uh, copper or you know any natural minerals or metals and they have atoms and the atoms vibrate at the same frequency. Uh, similarly, souls from the same soul pod vibrate at more or less the same frequency. Hmm. And so the recognition is there at that deep of a level, deep cellular level. Hmm. Um, and Eyes are what give away. So it's not just the presence, but you can look into somebody's eyes and recognize them instantly uh, over lifetimes. Can you tell us another experience where you encountered a Hindu god? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in 2019, I got very sick. It started with the flu, which became pneumonia, and I just never got out of bed for months and the doctors did x-rays, there were biopsies done, they found, you know, my lungs were affected badly. So I was just really, really sick. And it was during that time, I started to uh, hear things. Um, and I realized that I could hear directly from different gods and goddesses, and I could talk to them directly. And I had sort of always known that, you know, since I started my regression work, but I 
it was always, you know, through a session or something. It was never so clearly that I, like I'm talking to you. So um, when my daughter was going through, you know, all those problems when she was born, at that time, my cousin, my doctor cousin who had arrived from Dallas had asked me to say a prayer for a goddess in India. And I remember saying that prayer, asking her to support, asking her for support and asking her to uh, save my child. And usually when your wish gets fulfilled, you're supposed to go and visit, you're supposed to do a pilgrimage to her temple, which is up in the mountains. And it's not supposed to be an easy pilgrimage, but you go there and you thank her. So I hadn't been able to do that. 19 years had passed, but, but I always knew that the goddess will let me know when it's time. It was during my illness one day when I heard her and she said, it's time. When you recover, come and see me. And I was like, okay, let's hope I recover. There's, you know, uh, hopefully now that she said, when, when you recover, hopefully I will recover. And then I, I did. I, I had to do a lot of work, um, you know, a lot of healing on myself to recover. And then I planned this trip to India. Uh, a lot of my family members, including my doctor cousin, she said, I'm coming along. And it was so incredible. As I sat um, at the airport in SFO, I realized that my flight was leaving from gate number 11. Now, 11 is my life path number. It's a very special number to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wonderful. I, I go to India. Turns out, that a group that went on the pilgrimage were 11 people. And so we did the pilgrimage. It was amazing, just an incredible pilgrimage. It went on beautifully. I met with the goddess. I, I saw, and she is there in the form of a rock, actually three rocks. Mm-hmm. And um, you go there, and like I was telling you initially, Jeff, that in Hinduism, we have all these different forms of God, right? But it is understood that God really, God's source, the source is actually energy. And the energy can be perceived, depending on what kind of energy it is, it can be perceived in different forms. And so each form that you see of various gods and goddesses are actually symbolic of their energetic presence. And so if they have multiple hands and they're shown holding multiple things, all those things are connected to that energetic presence symbolically. Hmm. So there's deep symbolism there. And the only reason those gods are shown in human figure is because, you know, people who don't understand energy, they're still able to connect 
to that form and use that form to go into the deeper truths. So, so I go there and I experience her energy and it's beautiful. And as my parents and I, we get on our flight, turns out we are, sit- we are sitting on seats that are number 11 seats. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy. So we arrive in Delhi. Now, when we go to the goddess, you, ha- you make some offerings. So I made some offerings, you know, and my bag was empty after the offerings. And I folded the bag. I put it in my dad's backpack. We come back to New Delhi. My mom's emptying my dad's backpack. And she brings my bag to me and says, what did you get from there? I said, nothing. I, I, I took everything up. She said, but see, there's something inside this bag. Pretty magically, you know, a bag of nuts had appeared. And nuts are what you offer the goddess. Nuts uh, uh, are what sometimes you're given as, you know, um, as an offering from the goddess too. So there was a bag of nuts that had magically appeared in that empty bag. Mm, that's cool. And it was just, it was again, you know, the the goddess and those higher energies connecting with me and letting me know that I, that there were blessings galore, you know, and my work had been blessed and I had been blessed. So I call that an encounter with the goddess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, you've had so many things happen to you. I'm pretty sure that you don't believe that there are coincidences. There are no coincidences. Coincidences and synchronicities are just how the universe works. And one day we wake up to that and we realize that everything is always happening at the right time. There is an amazing amount of complexity in how everything is designed. You can just look at your family and go, oh my God, my parents' soul, my siblings' soul, my grandparents' souls, all these souls had already planned extensively with my soul that this is how everything is going to move. And I'm gonna be born to this set of souls. And, you know, so it's it's just, incredible how even the person who crosses the street you know with you is a soul you had connected with ahead of your coming to earth and chosen that moment to cross the street with them all right i need to switch gears with you are you still practicing past life regression and if so if people want to reach out to you for that how do they do that thank you so much i i am practicing past life regression and they can reach me via email at kinderwayhealing at gmail.com mm-hmm. and I will be happy to leave all my information um, you know with you and it can be posted. Uh, my website is kinderwayhealing.com 
And I would really love for people to go to my YouTube channel because it has a lot of my meditations there and they're all available for free to the whole world. What's the name of your channel? Kinder Way Healing. Kinder Way Healing. Okay. Yes. So besides your YouTube channel and your practice, what else do you have going on that you want us to know about? I am presenting at a reincarnation symposium, which is coming up on October 30th. And it is both virtual and in person. It is happening in Virginia. But I uh, will be presenting over Zoom. And I will be talking about my personal story as it weaves in the idea of divine love and the love, the masculine and feminine energies as they come together uh, on a greater mission to help Earth with its ascension. So that is happening. And the day after, I am doing two workshops. Mm. In the first workshop, people can meet with one or more of their guides and receive messages. And in the second workshop, people can meet somebody they love deeply and haven't had a chance to connect with, either because they have crossed over or because they are not talking and they are at a distance uh, or lost. So both these workshops are experiential. They will both include hypnosis and um all the information uh, can be provided here, or I can definitely post it. Can they find the information about those events on your website? Yes. Uh, they Actually, the information for the events will be on my Facebook page as well. I'm very active on my Facebook page, which is also Kinder Way Healing. So I would like people to go there as well okay. and keep checking on any upcoming events. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask questions. Are you open to that? And if so, can they do that on Facebook or, or through your website? Facebook is best. I always have people message me. In fact, if there's a lot of questions, I'm happy to also do a, a short video to respond to a number of questions. I often do that. Um, but I am here to serve and I'm here to help people move through that grief. If people have any questions at all about the process, because sometimes people don't understand hypnosis, um, if they have any questions about how they can become free of their grief and move forward, I'm happy to help people um, You know, with any queries they might have. All right, well, before we finish up, can you give the audience one last positive message Death is not the end. Death is when we go back home. We come on earth to role play. And we, we do the best we can to raise the vibration of earth. So that is why being here mindfully is so important. And spreading the message of love and giving and receiving love is very important. At the same time, when our loved ones die and we feel the sense of uh, deep despair, I just want everybody to know that you can connect with your loved ones easily. Their 
is never a need to feel that they are gone forever and you'll never see them again. They are always there for us. They are always guiding us. My loved ones from my family and friends who left me came back to me, not because they came back, because I awakened to the truth that they had never really left. Mm. Their love is always with me. And their love keeps guiding me to my highest truth. Thank you for that message. And Dr. Garg, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I really enjoyed this. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Mm -hmm. (laughs)